Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, we are so excited that you guys are here tonight. Man, um, we've been praying and praying, and like the, the word we felt like we got for this whole weekend was divine appointment. And so I just, we're just believing tonight that if you have an open heart towards Jesus, you are going to have a divine appointment tonight. Amen? Well, man, we're so stoked. So let's, let's just jump in. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be camping out there tonight. If you're new here, my name is Chris. I'm a pastor on staff. And, man, we're going to uh, really experience Jesus tonight. So Matthew chapter 16. Now, here's a question for you guys. Have you ever set your heart on something so much that if you didn't get it, it just kind of threw you off? It's like, oh, I, I got I to gotta have this. Well, this happened uh, a couple years ago. Laura and I and my wife, we were out on a date. And, you know, we went to everyone's favorite spot, Cheesecake Factory. Um, well, mostly, maybe someone, maybe not everyone's favorite spot, but their menu's pretty crazy. If you are indecisive, don't go to Cheesecake Factory. You might get stressed out. And so I had my heart set. Like, I knew exactly what cheesecake I was going to get. I had it in mind, cookies and cream. Yes, I'm that person. I pre-choose my dessert, okay? And so I had my heart set. And so Lauren and I get there. We're ready to go, right? Lauren's like, oh, baby, um, can we share a slice? Okay, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess. I mean, how hungry are you? Because I'm pretty hungry. So, but being a good husband, want, you know, to mutually be submissive, I said, okay, yeah, we can do this, right? So I'm like, honey, like, what do you want? Because, like, everybody wants cookies and cream cheesecake. Oh, I want coffee cheesecake. <laughs> now, I want to say that as a godly husband, I'm like, yeah, baby, whatever you want. But in my heart, I said, I thought you chose dessert last time. I thought, I thought... <laughs> I thought this was my pick, baby. So, you know, and I'm not, she knows me like the best. Outside of Jesus, there's like my wife. And so I'm trying to be like, yeah. She's like, are you okay? Um, are you sure? I mean, it's like, I mean, we had coffee in the morning. Who wants coffee cheesecake at night? Like, let's just kind of get cookies and cream, right? And this one gentleman, we don't even know who he is. He's, he's listening to our conversation. He's like, bro, just go with your wife, right? And I'm like, and you know what's funny is like I'm fighting this little, little thing. I don't even know why, right? So I want to see how far I can drag this out. I'm like, baby, come on. I mean, how many times have I just let you choose dessert? Can I just have this one thing? She's looking at me like, no, we're going to get coffee che- We're going to get coffee cheesecake, right? And so I want to say that I was mature and let it go, but I didn't. <laughs> and so I'm eating this cheesecake, you know, and you know you're foolish and a little dumb, when it's a really good cheesecake, but you can't admit it. So, hey, so, so how is it? It's all right. It's all right, right? And finally, you know, because I'm not like the really get upset, like, out, you know, screaming, like loud person, right? I'm more the passive, aggressive, quiet, keep it in my heart type person, you know? And she's like, are you, are you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm mad about the cheesecake. It's not like she didn't know, you know, like... <laughs> so foolish. And so eventually I was just like, you know, right when it came out of my mouth, I'm like, I should probably let this go. I'm fretting about cheesecake. Am I the only person? Okay. And so now as silly as an example as that was, um, there's probably some things in your life where you haven't let go. And it was probably more important than cheesecake. Can anyone relate? <laughs> now, 
It could be anything, right? It, it could even be like a little silly habit, right? It could have been, man, I just need to let go of this particular thing in my life. I need to let go of this particular thing. And for whatever reason, we just couldn't let it go, even how petty it could have been. Maybe it wasn't a habit. Maybe it was a hurt. Maybe it was like the smallest little thing where someone defended you three years ago, but whenever you see them, mm-mm, not talking to them. You offended me three years ago and you never apologized. I never told you that I was hurt, and you can't read my mind, but you offended me. So I'm going to hold it against you. Like we, we hang on to these silly, petty things, right? And I think mostly all the things that if we were to put it in like one little category of all these things that we hang on to, it all has to do with our hearts. There's just something where it's like, oh, I feel like I need to just let go. Even probably God's asking me to let go, but I just can't. At least I feel like I can't, and I don't. And I don't even need to probably even go any further than that. You're probably thinking of a situation where that's happened, or maybe that's even happening right now. And I'm going to tell us something that we probably already all know, but when we when we control things, when we don't let go, that ultimately is because of fear. And, and the, the picture, I mean, it, it sounds so obvious. It's so clear. But just this picture of when you're hanging on to something so tight because you feel like you need it, you have to have it, you can't let it go, that you, you need to own this. Your hands are so closed that you can't receive something else that God has for you. I'm learning this with my uh, year-and-a-half-year-old toddler, uh, Selah. I told you a couple weeks ago that she, she learned this awesome word called no. And, um, man, I already had a theology of the sinful nature, but I feel like it, it's kind of deepening right now every time she says no to me. And <laughs> it's crazy. Like, even, like, the littlest things, right, where I'm like, all right, baby, let's, we're going to get in the car. I'm going to get you dressed. I never knew undressing a baby could be the most horrible thing that could happen. You would think I'm torturing her. And I'm like, baby, baby, let, I'm going to get us ready, you know. I'm going to take you to the park. Blah, right? It's like if you only knew what I was trying to give to you, you would just go, right? And it's funny because that can be the same thing, right, where we hang on, we hang on, we hang on all out of fear. And there, I mean, there's many reasons why there's so many problems with that. But I would submit that's probably a, the biggest reason of all is that when we control our lives we cut off God's power in our lives. And that doesn't mean that God's not powerful. God is the most powerful person in the universe. He is power. But just because he is almighty, all-powerful God, when we control our lives and we also become Lord over our lives, that power stops right there because we're controlling. But here's the good news is that we don't have to live life that way. There's actually a better way than that. That we don't have to, even the things that we want to hang on to and to control and the things that sometimes we're not even willing to let go of, there's a better way. But when, we're feel, when we feel tempted to control, there's another option. That's to surrender. And surrender can be one of the most biblical, spiritual, most important things that you can do. Because while, fear, while control is about fear, surrender is about faith. And Hebrews talks about, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that it is impossible to please God without faith. And that 
God rewards all those who earnestly seek him and who are following him in faith. And so well, when we control our lives and that cuts off God's power, guess what surrender does? Surrender sets you up for a divine appointment. Because when you surrender control, when you surrender how things are supposed to be, you are opening yourself up to something greater, bigger, beyond what you can do for yourself or what even what anyone could do for you as well. You are opening yourself up to a divine appointment. This is a rhetorical question, but does anyone need a divine appointment tonight? Does anyone need a touch from Jesus tonight? Because the temptation is, is that I'm going to hang on, I'm going to control, but the Lord's saying, if you let go, if you trust me, if you surrender your way of doing things, I'm going to give you a divine appointment. I'm going to go beyond what you think, what you can imagine, and I'm going to show you that my power, that my weakest, it's like what uh, the Apostle Paul says, is that Jesus' weakest moment is greater than our best moments. And so when we surrender, when we let go of control, we are setting ourselves up for a divine appointment. I, I want to set this up in the context of Good Friday. I don't know about you, but when you know how a story ends, it's a little bit harder to get engaged. And so most of us, we know the biblical story. We know Friday is here, Sunday's coming, but how many of you know that without a crucifixion, there would be no resurrection? And so for us to truly understand the power, the life-giving event of the resurrection, we have to understand not just Good Friday, the crucifixion, but from the perspective of those who were there. So that's what I want to walk us through is what was it like to be one of the disciples to go through Good Friday? Now, to give us some context, Jesus walked the earth for about three years. And if you were one of his 12 disciples, I mean, there was the crowds, right? There was the religious people. But there was a chosen 12 disciples that were his, his crew pretty much. Now, if you were part of that crew, man, you had it good, okay? Because Jesus' ministry blew up. He would try to get away from people, right? And people, it's like, man, when you thought Jesus was, like, not popular, he fed some people for free, 5,000. You ever heard of that story, right? And people were coming from everywhere, right? And so those disciples, they had a name to themselves. They were in the in-group, you know. Oh, you know, I'm, I don't just follow Jesus. I'm one of the 12. You know, like, they were a part of the in-group. So they were, they were it, now, there are some scary moments, you know, where Jesus wanted to break man-made rules. He wanted to stick it to the religious leaders. Jesus, you're trying to get us killed, man. Like, slow your roll. Calm down. Some of your teachings are a little crazy. Eat your, drink your blood. Eat your flesh. People are leaving. We're trying to grow this thing, Jesus, you know. So other than that, they had it pretty good. But this time in, this, in, in the Gospels, things are starting to change. Where Jesus was uh, building his people, his ministry was gaining traction, but now we're coming to the Passion Week. Now we're coming for the intention of why he was really here. And it was even beyond what the disciples could have even imagined. And to give you some context, in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in the middle half, but the first part of it is when Peter claims, Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says back to Peter, 
man, Peter, you're not smart enough to get that from yourself. That had to been my father telling you this. But guess what? I now call you, his name was Simon. I now call you Peter, which means rock. And so I just want that to be like in your heads as we go through this passage that Jesus had just called Peter rock. So we're in Matthew chapter 16, and let's look at verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the hands of, of the, sorry, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this would ever happen to you. This will never happen to you. So Jesus starts telling his story. This is what's going to happen, guys. They're going to betray me. They're going to falsely accuse me. And eventually, they're going to kill me. And then Peter, in his gusto, and his classic Peter way, no, 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 Lord. This is not going to happen. You're not going to suffer. Heaven forbid that anything happen to you at all. Now, we have to understand kind of the context of why, Jesus, uh, why Peter is saying that. Because in that time, the Jews, they were under the oppression of the Roman army. And so their idea of the Messiah, not just Peter, but uh, most of the Jews, was that this next Messiah, he was going to take political reign. He was going to be a political leader that basically what victory looked like was going to come through power. It was going to come through force. It was going to come through control. That, no, no, my Savior, my Messiah isn't going to suffer because my King is going to be the strongest one. He's going to be the most powerful one. And he's going to overthrow Caesar. Heaven forbid, Jesus, that you would ever, ever suffer for us. It's going to be the opposite. The Romans are going to suffer and we're going to reign victorious. Jesus, no, this isn't going to happen. Jesus totally flips the script where he says this. Get away from me, Satan. <laughs> you are a dangerous trap to me. You're not seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Now, let's just kind of put ourselves in Peter's feet. One moment you get the biggest revelation that Jesus is God, and then you get called Satan. That's, that's a big swing, right? It's like, oh, man, self-esteem, what's happening here, you know? I feel good, but I don't feel so good. But... But there's a reason why Jesus said that. It's because Peter wasn't seeing the kingdom of God the way that he wanted him to. Well, man's way is through power, through force, through, con uh, through control. The kingdom of God works completely different. The kingdom of God is about surrender. The kingdom of God is about sacrifice, about suffering. And what's so interesting about this is that right when Jesus called him rock, this next moment he says, Peter, you are a dangerous trap right now. That word dangerous trap, it literally means a stumbling block. And so in one moment when Peter was acting like a rock, the next moment he was acting like a stumbling block. That's so significant because not only did Peter have a misunderstanding of what the Messiah was going to be, it actually was a lot more emotionally related. See, Jesus was his uh, disciple, I'm sorry, a uh, rabbi. And so anything the rabbi does, the disciple follows. 
And so if Jesus was going to suffer, if Jesus was going to sacrifice, if Jesus was going to surrender, Peter and everyone else had to do the same thing. And so, well, not only was Peter not understanding the Messiah right, he wasn't understanding his own calling right. Where that if you, essentially, if you avoid suffering and the stretching that God wants to do in your life, you're going to miss your divine appointment. That if you avoid the hard things that God wants to stretch you in, that he wants to put you in, the situations that, that are even beyond yourself, you're going to miss your God appointment and you're going to miss ultimately the calling that God has in your life. To avoid suffering is to avoid the God appointment. And I would even say further that to avoiding suffering is avoiding knowing the sufferings of Christ. And as we partake in his sufferings, we actually partake in knowing him more. And so Peter got it twisted. Jesus had to correct his thinking. That if you're truly going to understand my mission and your part in it, it's not to avoid suffering at all. Suffering is part of the gig. Suffering is how you get to know me. Suffering is your appointment to bring my glory into this earth. And so he keeps going. Peter's like, I was just trying to give a good answer, Jesus. <laughs> Verse 24 says this. Jesus says, said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is when the message that Jesus is conveying is just blowing up in their minds and hearts. Because when Jesus said, take up your cross. I mean, just remember from their perspective, the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. They don't know the story. They don't know Matthew 26 and 20, how this is all going to play out. So when they hear the word, take up your cross, do you know what they're thinking? They're thinking of the Romans. See, the Romans were expert killers. They were expert murderers. They were expert torturers. So when, the, when you saw a, a crucifixion, you thought of two things. You thought of execution, and you thought of humiliation. You thought of execution because it was one of the worst and painful ways for you to be murdered. And not just execution, but it was a humiliating thing. It was done publicly. You were, uh, it was done naked and vulnerable. And you were just lay there all day as they mocked you, as they ridiculed you, and how they torched you in just horrible ways that I don't even have time to go into right now. So... When Jesus said, if you truly want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. Deny your way, your control, how you want to do things, and take up your cross. This went so much more from circumstantial, from what's happening all around them, to right to their hearts. I want to do a crucifixion in your heart of all the things that are taking you away from me so I can bring you closer. All the things that were, it's like there's a struggle, the things in you that just want to divert. I want to touch those things, but I can only do them if you take up your cross. Essentially what Jesus is saying is you can either control your life or you can take up your cross, but you can't do both. That when you take up your cross, it's painful. 
<laughs> you've got to face your fears. You've got to face the things that you've been avoiding. You've got to face those hearts. Th- There's probably things in our hearts that no one else knows, but only the Lord knows. And we have to start dealing with them. But there's life on the other side. <laughs> because when we just think of crucifixion, the sense of like, this is going to be so hard, so hard, so hard. Jesus said that there's a promise to that. That if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. That what you thought that you needed, the things that you thought that you had to hang on to, when you let it go, new life starts to happen. And this is a thing that never stops. It's an ongoing process for our whole lives. I'll give you an example. You know, sometimes as pastors, it can be uh, tempting to tell you vulnerable stories. So, oh, you know, this happened about 20 years ago, and uh, I want to tell you now, right? It's just so easy to tell stories from so long ago, right? I, I want to take something just even from this week. So I was, man, I've been looking forward to preach Good Friday for about a month now, and I'm, I'm getting ready to prepare this week. And can I be honest? I was stuck, I was like, man, like, where am I even going to go? And I was, like, struggling. I'm like, man, like, this is so easy. This is Good Friday. This is, like, one of the best messages, you know? Like, man, anyone can preach this message. Man, I was going blank, right? I was calling Pastor Matt. I was talking to my wife. And I'm like, guys, like, um, do you have any ideas for me? You know, I'm, like, struggling, right? And I'm, I'm stressing. I'm praying. And you know what started to happen? And, and if I'm not careful, because this is like part of like, you know, my personal story, is if I'm not careful, I can get super anxious and I start going to performance mode. I've got to earn, I've got to earn, I've got to kill this thing. Because if I don't do this really, really well, then I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be valued. So I'm struggling, I'm struggling, right? It's like, I just need to get a word. And it's like, it's a couple of days, ago, I'm looking at this, I'm like, why am I struggling so much with this? And then finally, I just stopped. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to, like, keep going at this. I just, I, I stilled myself. And so I, I shut the door of my room. I started to pray and worship and worship. And the Lord just started touching my heart. Like, Chris, like, what's, what's the big deal? What's, what's on the line right now? Everything was dealt with on the cross. Everything's finished right now. What are you trying to work for? And I almost, and again, this is, this is not meant to sound creep or anything, but I almost heard like the Lord laugh, like, what's the big deal? Everything's paid for, Chris. Speak with authority, speak with confidence, speak from my heart. Everything's, everything's finished. And I started realizing, wow, there's, you know, you think you get over something, but when the Lord brings you back, it's like, wow, I need to hear the gospel again. You never grow beyond the gospel. You just go deeper in it. So it was in those moments where, man, I was trying to control, 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 and all it took was just this one moment. Lord, I'm going to give this up for you right now. I'm going to give this up to you right now. I share that kind of my new kind of like random story because I think sometimes when we think about taking up our cross, we think of the craziest things. I got I to gotta give away my house tomorrow. I'm an American, Right? I have so many things. I have to do all these crazy things. Yes, if if God's calling you those big things, do that. But it's those little decisions that we make every single day. That when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God can do incredible things even in your smallest moments, those small steps. 
We can carry our cross or we can control our life, but we can't do both. But when we let go and give God control, a divine appointment is ready to come. So I want us to take us to now to the ending of Jesus' time on earth. With that in mind, he sets this up, is that our Messiah is not going to be one that rules with a human way of power. He's not going to rule with a human type of authority. He's going to rule with surrender. He's going to rule with surrender to his Father. He's going to rule with sacrifice and with suffering and how it's going to play out. And so now we're getting to the end of his ministry. And basically everything that Jesus said is now coming to pass. Where everything's getting chaotic. Judas has now betrayed Jesus. Jesus is now arrested. And, and everything is just going crazy right now. Where, wow, like this is actually happening. Jesus is arrested. He's being falsely tried right now. The disciples are going crazy. Peter, who was once the one who was walking on water, who was Jesus' guy, is now denying him three different times. Everything's going nuts. Jesus is being falsely accused. He's being lied about. Like the most ridiculous trial happens. And then he's given over to Pilate, the Roman authority. And it, it gets so crazy that even the Roman authority and, and, and Pilate, he couldn't find anything even wrong with Jesus. So he leaves it up to the people that were once praising him, the people that were on Palm Sunday, blessed be the name of the Lord. And now they're saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barnabas. Oh, no, not Barnabas. Uh, Barabbas. Sorry, wrong Bible character. <laughs> Give us the guy who's a robber and a criminal, right? Give us that guy. I, I caught myself. That, that was good. Thank you. I, I know my Bible okay, you know. Give us that guy. Give us the criminal. But Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. Everything is literally out of control. Or at least it seems like it from a human's point of view. Everything is not going to plan. Could you imagine if you're Jesus' mother? Could you imagine if you're one of his disciples? Everything is flipped upside down. And now we're going to the road of, of, of the crucifixion. And this one story, I'm praying, Lord, what do you, what do you want to speak to us through this story this, this night? And he brought me to one of the most obscure passages, but I feel like the Lord is going to speak to us through. And it's in Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. A passerby named Simon, who was, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. I want you to remember this one last part. It's really significant. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So the crucifixion has now taken place. Jesus has been crucified. He's been um, sentenced to die. He's been flogged. He's been beat up. I mean, he's just been getting just mutilated. And now it's his walk over um, to be crucified. He's in so much pain, he's, in, he's bearing so much weight, and not just the physical weight of the cross. He's bearing, he's carrying the weight of humanity's sins. 
And it gets so unbearable that the Roman officers have to convince and force Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. Now, could you imagine Simon? He's coming out of town. He probably doesn't know what's going on. And he probably just wants to get in and out. He comes on to a mob scene. It's uncomfortable. It's emotional. It's kind of crazy. A riot's about to break out. And the Romans forced him to carry Jesus' cross. I mean, just how, how just painful, just how just like excruciating that might be, just like awkward, confusing. It's like basically get me away. Now, I don't want to read too much into this text because there's not a lot that's said. But put yourself in Simon's shoes right now. You almost have to carry the cross because the Romans' officers are forcing you to carry that cross. But you still have to make a decision. Am I going to do this or not? And while it could have been so easy for Simon just to back out, get out of there for whatever reason, he carried Jesus' cross. What seemed like the most insignificant, what seemed like the most smallest thing, he did it. And we don't even know why he did it. Did he do it out of compassion? Did he do it out of mercy? Did he do it out of compulsion? Did he do it out of fear for his own life? We don't know, but what we do know is that he did it. He carried Jesus' cross. And Simon had no idea what God was going to do through that moment. He had no idea that as he carried Jesus' cross, the story that he was being folded into. So we're in the footsteps with Simon, and he's carrying Jesus' cross. And he sees the other criminals. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're criminals. They, they know who they are. They're famous for what they've done. But then there's Jesus <laughs> walking, walking with such humility, walking with such meekness. People are swearing at him. People are ridiculing him. People are, are, are scolding him. Didn't you say you're the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself? But yet First Peter chapter two, uh, chapter 2 says, even though they mocked him, he did not retaliate. And he's walking up to his scene of his crucifixion. Simon sees him with the nails going into his hands. He sees the cross being put up, erected up. And then from there, the most miraculous things start to happen. Is that Jesus is in the middle, and then there's two other criminals side by side. And there's one criminal mocking him, mocking him, mocking him. And the story takes a twist where the other criminal says, don't you know who he is? Men like us, we deserve to be here. But he is, he is not a criminal like us. And then he refers back to Jesus. Jesus, will you remember me in heaven? Can you remember who I am when you get there? And Jesus, in his most vulnerable, most horrifying, painful moment, looks at the man and says, today you will be with me in paradise. The most selfless, the most <laughs> uh, sacrificial thing someone can do when you're in the most painful moment to get the attention off yourself and to give someone else peace. If you're Simon, you're like, what? Seriously? And if that wasn't enough, 
while our Savior is on the cross, enduring the most painful death, where people are spitting on him, mocking him, all these things, he looks at them with tender eyes and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. No, no, no. They know what they're doing. <laughs> Simon's saying in his heart, that's what I would be saying. They are intentionally mocking you. They're intentionally hurting you. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Father, forgive them. Because when they know why I'm here and why I am letting them do this to me, there's a greater purpose in this. Father, forgive them. Romans, Romans chapter 5 says this is great. It's one thing for a good man to die for someone else who was good, but what good man dies for a bad man? What good man dies for an evil man? We see it in the love of Christ. Simon thought he was just going to carry a cross, get this over with, but yet he's seen the most stunning thing. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What? The God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, who's have perfect union, perfect relationship forever, for eternity, has now been disturbed. God was, Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken by our Father. Simon's looking at this, it's like, no, 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 you don't deserve to be forsaken. I deserve to be forsaken. I should be the one that should be up there. But yet Jesus was up there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tim Keller puts it perfectly. Jesus died the death that we should have died, and he lived the life that we should have lived. That's what Simon's experiencing. And then in one final breath, Jesus says, Father, I commend my spirit to you. It is finished. An earthquake breaks out. The, you know, in um, John chapter 2, when Jesus said, give me three days and this temple will break completely down. That's what happened in that moment. And then, you know what the Roman soldier says? Oh, my gosh. He really was the son of God. What is, what is Simon thinking? What is Simon experiencing right now? where he thought he was just going to carry the cross, inconvenience Jesus, just get out of the way, I'm going to let go. But yet he got folded into the story of redemption that would change his life forever. And the resurrection hasn't even happened yet. This is just Friday. The reason why I wanted us to remember Rufus, because if, it's a really obscure text, but if you turn to Romans chapter believe 15. I think I have it, Steph, if you can put up, or Rudy, sorry. Romans chapter 15, sorry, 16, uh, verse 13 says this. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has also been a mother to me. Most scholars believe that this Rufus was, um, that 
he was the son to Simon that we had just talked about. That because Simon came into contact with Jesus and because he had that encounter, that divine appointment with Jesus, it changed his life completely. See, Paul wouldn't have referenced Rufus unless the whole church of Rome knew who he was. And he was a leader in the church there. That one moment that Rufus, sorry, that Simon gave away, it changed not just his life, but the, his whole lineage after that. A divine appointment that he had no idea about. What does that mean for us? It means a couple things on Good Friday. And then this is what I want us to take away, is that the one, for one, the cross The cross will always be the one and only payment for our sins. Always. The one and only payment for our sins. That while the cross could be seen as brutality, as the most agonizing things, there's so much beauty in there as well. That the reason why Good Friday is so good, because even though our Savior didn't have to die, he didn't need to do it, he chose to in love. And it was the greatest demonstration of not just his love for his people, but also his surrender to his Father. But it also means something for us. The cross isn't just the payment of our sins, but it's also the continual process of our surrender to him. That when we see the cross, the cross isn't just a past event that we honor. It is that. But it's the continual process that God uses for us to surrender to him, for us to follow him, and for for him to lead us to divine appointments. Do you want a divine appointment in your life right now? Do you want God to touch you? It comes from letting go of control from even the most smallest and insignificant things, when we give room for our risen Savior to touch the things in our lives that seem so untouchable, the things that seem so small, the things that we don't want to let go, a divine appointment is just on the other corner of that. It comes from trusting the resurrected King. I want to leave us with this picture because sometimes we're like, Can I trust Jesus? Can I take that next step? Who wouldn't want to trust someone who is so vulnerable, so open, saying, just trust me. You have nothing to fear. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to do anything that would do anything that would deter you. I died for you. I rose for you. That if you trust me, there is a divine appointment on the other side.